one of the temptations that I face as a pastor, as a leader, is to give the impression that I've arrived. And maybe you've heard people use that term before, like uh, you're on this journey, you're on this destination, um, and then you arrive at the end. All the work is finished, you're done journeying, um, you have arrived. And I'm tempted to lead you to believe that all of my sins, all of my struggles, all of my doubts, all of whatever I might have going on in my life, that's stuff that was in the past, and presently, I have arrived. The journey is done, and I have arrived. Those things used to be part of my life, but now there's no more doubt, there's no more sin, there's no more struggling with things. And one of the reasons I'm tempted to present myself as someone who's arrived, who doesn't struggle with sin or doubt, um, or anything, failures, mistakes, anything like that, is because um, I have a fear that if I show you that, oh yeah, I, st- I haven't arrived yet, um, that you won't respect me, you won't want to follow me, you won't want to listen to the things I say, like, well, he's just like us. You know, so what, that he's disqualified to tell us what to do if he's having trouble doing the very same things that we're doing. Um, but the deeper reason I think uh, I'm tempted to present myself as someone who's arrived who doesn't have any present struggles with sin or doubt is because I'm afraid that if you knew the truth, you would never accept me as a person in your life. You would reject me. You wouldn't accept me as I am. You wouldn't love me. And what I believe is that if you knew the full truth about my struggles, then you would never accept me as a pastor or a leader. And that's only for one relationship, you know, my relationship with all of you as a pastor and a leader. But this happens in all my relationships uh, in life. I can live in fear that if Katie, or my wife, or Hudson, my son, or my friends, or my neighbors, or if anyone knew the full truth about me, they would never accept me. If people knew the full extent of my sin, the full extent of my struggles, they would never accept me. And deep down, whether we can put our finger on it or not, we all live with this fear. And even if you're thinking right now, like, I'm not afraid of that, you have this fear, even if you can't put your finger on it. We live with the fear that if people really knew the truth about us, they would never accept us. You may not even be aware that you're living with it, um, but if you, unless you have this extremely deep trust in the sufficiency of God's grace um, to take care of your sin and your failures, um, and you're totally secure in what God says of you, um, which I'd imagine none of us are totally secure in that, you have times when you are <clears throat> fearful of other people and whether they will accept you. And we all behave in ways that show we're afraid that others won't accept us. Even if we aren't consciously aware, like, I'm doing this because I'm afraid you won't accept me. Um, Many of us would maybe want to say, like, I'm not afraid of other people. Like, I'm confident. You know, I'm I'm not afraid of people. I do what I want. Um, But sometimes that's even a symptom of being afraid of other people because we're so afraid of what they think that we've closed ourselves off from them and try to be confident in just who we are. Even if we won't say we're afraid of others, won't accept us. We act like it. So here are a couple ways this fear can show up in our lives. And it's kind of hard to, it, I think a lot of times it does reside at this deep level of us and it's kind of hard to actually get down to the root. It's like several layers deep, but here's a couple ways this fear shows up in our lives. When, when we've hurt someone, we don't go to them and admit that we did something wrong or hurtful. That's one way the fear of other people accepting us shows up. Because if I go and tell them, hey, I know I did this thing wrong, I sinned against you, I hurt you, and now they're aware of it, maybe they're aware of it the whole time, and you know they're aware of it, but you're afraid to go talk to them and hash that out, um, or maybe you're, aware to, you're afraid to bring it to their attention, like, you know, I've had some 
bitter thoughts towards you. I've had some angry thoughts towards you. And now they know that you have this thing and you never talk to them. Uh, that's because we're afraid they won't accept this if we do talk to them. So, you know, think to yourself, when was the last time that you're like, I know I hurt this person and you went to them and talked to them? And I'd imagine um, if, that a lot of us maybe can't place the last time we did that. And that's because we're afraid that if we talk to them about it, they wouldn't accept us. Another symptom is that instead of owning up when we've done something wrong, we hope nobody notices or that they'll forget about it or we try to make it up to somebody by doing good things. You know, if you do something wrong um, in front of other people or, you know, whether it's one person or a group of people or your family, it's like, oh, that was really stupid or like, that was really hurtful. I shouldn't have said that thing. It's like, maybe nobody noticed or maybe nobody will remember or maybe over time they just won't remember and I won't have to deal with it um, because I'm afraid that since they noticed this thing I did wrong, they're not going to accept me. Or a, a final way that we show we're afraid that people won't accept us is when we think we're always right and the other person is always wrong, um, which is probably when we're in the worst state of all because we're not even willing to admit that we might have done something wrong, but we've gotten so used um, to defending ourselves or blaming others or justifying our actions that we actually think we're always right and everyone else is always in the wrong and actually the problem is with them and not with us. And all of these are ways of hiding and we can do them unconsciously, not even realizing it. And we can get in patterns for so long that we don't even realize, I'm afraid of what other people think of me, but it's layers and layers deep. That fear is layer and layers deep that we don't even know what's going on. And so I wanted to do a little bit of brainstorming on our whiteboard. Um, what are we afraid of? What are we afraid will happen if people know the truth about us? And specifically, we've been talking about the truth about us that I've messed up or I've wronged you or I've done hurtful things. What are we afraid will happen if people know the truth about us? And I've talked about not accepting us, but what are some ways that that might be um, expressed, not accepting us? What are we afraid will happen if people know the whole truth about us? You know, if it's all on display. I'd be judged. Judged? So, judged in a negative way, like condemned maybe, or? Yeah. Judged. Closed out of a group? Oh, we got closed out, isolated, kicked out. Secrets and use it against us. You'll bring it up later. Maybe you'll act nice to me now, but you'll bring it up or you'll use it against me behind my back or in front of me, throw it in my face. Or you might feel that people might be appalled by your secrets. People will be uh, appalled. Uh oh. Like shame. Appalled. I can do this. <laughs> this is a hard word. Ooh, it's appalled. Yeah, that's right. Paul. I heard somebody else say something. Uh, loss of trust. They wouldn't trust you, yeah. Maybe if it's a situation where you're going to ask for forgiveness, like fear that they will not forgive you. 
you like you treated them. <laughs> Can you correct Apollo so people aren't distracted by the whole thing? How do you spell it? Oh. A-P-P-A-L-L-E-D. <laughs> That's right. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> he hasn't looked it up. I did. I didn't know. <laughs> 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 you're being corrected by Google. I would have been thinking of it the whole time. You're not being judged. You're condemned by your spelling. <laughs> All these things just happen to me. <laughs> That doesn't look right, though. I don't believe Google. That's what Google no, says. I'm putting it back how I want it. Correct. Correct it. Hey, Google, what do you know? I think I fear people would, like, so if they're going to judge me, they might do it to my face, or they might do it, like, behind my back, like, they'll gossip about me. Gossip, yeah. Nice to your face, but then they talk to other people. Yeah. Yes. So we could maybe put more things, but these are things we're afraid of will happen if people knew the whole truth about us. You know, if it was just like people could scroll. You know, what if your Facebook page didn't just put the things on that you want on there, but what if it had everything about you on there? It's always updating people on how you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're doing, and it wasn't just like, here's the sweet salad I just ordered, you know, or <laughs> whatever it is. It's like, what if it was all this stuff? And this week, uh, we're in our final message of a four-week series that we've called For Us, Enjoying God's Forgiveness Through Jesus. And I've really enjoyed this series. I'd encourage you just to go back, even if you just went back and read the passages we've covered. We covered 1 John um, 1, 5 to 2, 6, and then we covered uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, and then Psalm 51. Today we're going to cover Psalm 32. But if you just went back and read through all those passages um, and got to a good would give you a healthy understanding of forgiveness. And forgiveness, the reason we're doing this is forgiveness comes through Jesus because his death provided the payment for it. And we had, uh, we just finished Easter. And at Easter, we're remembering that Jesus died and he was resurrected. And between Jesus' death and he says, I'm going to want to send you, he tells his disciples, I'm going to send you into the world to proclaim forgiveness, but you have to wait for the Holy Spirit. Um, so actually next week, we're going to start a series on the Holy Spirit. Next week marks the time when the Holy Spirit came they had to wait 50 days um, but in between then we're thinking kind of with the original disciples like what did Jesus death mean what did it mean that he paid for sins what did it mean that he paid the penalty for them um, and forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one that's giving it because instead of making somebody pay you back for the wrong they've done instead you are paying the wrong yourself you're paying the debt and God took upon the, the payment himself the cost of it himself the debt himself um, by dying. That was what it cost him to send Jesus, and he died in our place. And so even though there's plenty of reasons that God should be against us, when we trust in Jesus, God is for us. And so I've said each message, you remember one thing is a theme for this message, is God is for you, not against you. If you trusted in Jesus, um, there's nothing left that God, no reason that God would be against you. He's God, he's for you. But we often fail to enjoy God's forgiveness. So often we keep our sins in the dark, we keep them hidden, we keep them from God, and we hide them from God and others. And the reason is because of all these reasons we wrote down on the whiteboard together, that if 
God or others knew the full truth about us, if God or others knew all the wrongs we did, all the ways we act selfish, all the ways we sin and hurt other people, this is what would happen. This is what God would do. This is what other people would do. And so we keep them hidden. And one of the big themes in this series I've seen over and over again um, in all these passages is that God invites us, bring your sins into the light so you can have a real relationship with me. It's the only way to relationship with me. Bring your sins into the light so you can experience healing and forgiveness and life. And so I can cleanse them and take them away from you. God invites us, be open and honest with me about what you've done wrong. But we're terrified that if God really knew the truth about us, he would never accept us. He would reject us. And so often we keep ourselves from enjoying God's forgiveness. And my hope as we close the series in Psalm 32, it'll help us with this, to cultivate in us a desire to bring our sins to light because it talks a lot about feelings. What does it feel like to hide our sins? What does it feel like to bring them into the light? And so the big idea for Psalm 32 is this. Um, not hiding our sin from God is the way to acceptance with God. Not hiding our sin before God is the way to acceptance with God. And I highlighted these two words, bold of them, not hiding and acceptance, because we usually live and believe the opposite thing. I need to hide my sin. If God ever found out about this, he would never accept me. But the Bible tells us the exact opposite is true. Not hiding our sin from God is the way to acceptance with God. Psalm 32 is written by a man named David, and he lived about 3,000 years ago in, in 1,000 B.C. And David was considered the greatest king Israel ever had until Jesus came along. Every king after him, it was like, I hope they're like David. And the way that God described David is as a man after God's own heart. God himself said that, this is a guy after my own heart. Um, but as we saw last time, Psalm 51, uh, David was far from perfect. I mean, he committed adultery, um, he plotted somebody's murder, um, covered up, you know, covered all this stuff up, and he didn't even flinch at it. He wasn't even like worried about it. He was just doing his thing. He's like, sweet, now this gal I committed adultery with can be my wife, and it's all taken care of. And it's, he doesn't even realize it until a prophet from God comes and uh, brings it to uh, his mind, brings it, him aware of this reality. And David was not a perfect man, even when he's described as a man after God's own heart. And this is good news, because that means we can be like David. Because David... I mean, it's like if God can forgive David, um, he can forgive any of us. If God can forgive Paul in the New Testament, who is murdering God's people, um, he can forgive us. And so um, David is a, teaches us how we can be men and women after God's own heart, which doesn't mean being perfect. It means something different. And so let's take a look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32 to start off. David writes this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And David goes on a little bit of a journey in this psalm, um, and he starts at the end. He starts where he ends up, which is this feeling of, man, I am blessed. God has given me a gift. God has blessed me. Um, and there's some ways that the, you know, little hashtag blessed thing that we do, and you're like, oh, you know, so blessed, you know, everything just, you know, so great, sitting on the beach, or, what, you know, whatever it is, or like I got, uh, the, the day just went how I wanted to, and some of that is like, okay, there's a gift from God there, but David is talking, oh, he's happy about something else, and blessed, and other, some of the other translations, other Bible versions, 
uses the word happy, which that can also be a little bit confusing in our culture because it's like happy is this thing that goes very up and down. Um, but David's talking about something that he's received from God. He's get, God's given him this gift, and he recognizes, like, this is a blessing. This is a gift from God. It's something I don't deserve. God is giving me favor. He's giving me privilege that didn't come from me. God has bestowed blessing on David. Um, and David is the receiver, and God is the giver. And he's saying, I am blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. So he's, there's three, word, or three phrases he uses to describe the gift, um, and three uh, kind of like words that describe what he's done wrong. Um, and the three words for the wrongs he's committed are transgression, verse 1, uh, second half of verse 1, sin, and then verse 2, the first half, iniquity. Transgression, sin, iniquity. And these are three words that are used over and over again. We saw them in Psalm 51. But these three words cover a range of seriousness of sin and different kind of like shades of meaning. It's think about like you know, Venn diagrams that have like over, you know, overlapping. So they have some things in common. Um, and in the middle it's like things done wrong against God. And then you know, they have different like shades of meaning um, and how these words work. So transgression um, is breaking trust with God. Or another way to think of it is saying no to God's commands. It's like, God, you know exactly what you're supposed to do, and you say no and do it the, the, go the other, the other way from that. Well, that's like the most serious one. Um, it's, I mean, just kind of telling God, like, well, buzz off. I don't really care what you have to say. I don't know what you're saying. I'm just going to do the opposite. Um, sin is moral failure. It's missing the mark on living how God commands us to live. It's missing the mark living how God commands us to live. Um, it's doing things our way instead of God's way. I mean, and so you can see how these overlap. Um, iniquity uh, speaks to kind of like the crooked, twisted way that we make decisions and then the consequences that come from decisions. We're kind of like bent out of shape. It's like that decision, that was just like kind of twisted and a perverted way of thinking about that person or that situation. You didn't come at it in like this pure, holy, um, good way, but you kind of like had a weird, twisted way about it. So iniquity is um, the twisted choices and the twisted consequences that come out of that. It's kind of like after effects of bad choices we make. And then he uses three words. Those are the, that's, he has all these in his life, um, which is good for us to know because uh, we don't have to be like, okay, I have a sin that's just too bad for God to forgive. David's like, all three. Any, any kind of sin, any kind of wrong, any kind of transgression, iniquity, sin, any wrong you can think of, he's like, I am blessed. Because why? He says three things. I'm forgiven. I'm covered. It's not counted against me. In those two verses. So the word forgiven uh, is translating a word that could literally be translated as lifted up. And so he's saying um, in, ver in verse 1, blesses one whose transgression is lifted up off him. Like instead of being <laughs> sitting on him like this weight, blessed is one whose transgression has been lifted up off him. He's no longer carrying it. And then second, he says, God has covered my sin. Uh, so it's been lifted up off him. Or another way to think of it has been, it's been covered up. Like God doesn't even see anymore. Like I've taken care of it, David. Not like sweeping it under the rug like, oh, you know, it's okay. But God is like, no, I've taken care of it. It's covered up. I don't see that anymore in your life. And the other third thing he says is God did not count his iniquity against him. So instead of it being like, well, David, you know, you did this thing wrong. You did this perverse, twisted thing. It's like, no, I'm not, not going to count it against you. I'm going to treat you like it didn't even happen. We said... What we, we say, treat you differently. 
And so he doesn't count it against him. He doesn't treat him differently. He's like, no, I'm not going to count that against you. I'm going to treat you as if it didn't even happen. It's covered up. It's lifted off. It's not there anymore. And then we can ask the question, what kind of person experiences this, bl- this blessing from God? And it's the last line says, blessed, so adding blessed in front of blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's the last line of verse 2. He did not hide his transgression, sin, and iniquity from God. He didn't lie to God. He didn't say, like, God, it's not that bad. I didn't do it. He didn't lie. He didn't blame. He didn't defend. It's just like, here it is. There's no deceit in me. I'm not trying to hide this. I'm not trying to cover it up. He brought it before God. Didn't deny it or lie about it. And so that's the end of the emotional journey. And verses 3 and 4 rewind a bit and kind of bring us to how we got to that place. So verse 3, look at, take a look at that. It says, For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And this kind of reminds us of what we read at the end of John, how John, um, Jesus said, I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And David's experiencing this God's hand heavy upon him and feeling like his bones are wasting away. He's groaning all day long. Um, he's, his, God's hand is heavy upon him. This is how he felt when he kept silent about his sin, when he was, I know I've done wrong, and he hasn't said anything about it yet to God. And so he says, my bones are wasting away. I'm groaning. I'm, I feel heavy. My strength is dried up like in the hot summer sun. And he has this feeling of uneasiness and stress and anxiety, and it's eating away at him, and it's weighing on him. And these verses tell us that hiding our sin has serious consequences and may even express itself in physical ways. I think some, some of this is metaphor of him saying, you know, it was like my strength being dried up in the heat of the sun. But I think uh, some of this is just supposed to be taken very, uh, as, as it's said, uh, he feels this heaviness upon him. He feels like his strength is dried up. And when we try to hide things from other people, I mean, have you ever had something that you're like, uh, I just hope nobody finds out about this. Like, it causes anxiety. It causes stress. It, it takes a bunch of strength out of you. It's like, you have, and you have this heaviness on you. I've done wrong, and I hope nobody finds out about it. And I don't, you know, I have this secret that I'm trying to make sure nobody, I always think about the show, uh, maybe, don't judge me for having watched this in the past. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but meet, meet the parents. Like, you ever watch this show, and you're just like, man, just tell them what's going on. You just have this cringing of, if you don't know the movie, I guess that reference didn't work. But you just, like, watching this guy who's, there's just a train wreck happening all around him, and all he has to do is tell people what's actually going on. But he's trying to take care of it himself, and it's just, like, taking everything in him to do it. And so, you know, ask yourself, for, you know, are you anxious? Are you stressed? Are you weary? These could be symptoms that you have sin in your life, transgression in your life, iniquity in your life that you're trying to hide, that you're you're not bringing out into the open to God. (coughs) David here shares that holding his sin and trying to hide it had huge physical effects in his life. And it makes sense. Our whole whole being is connected, spiritual, physical. I mean, all just is connected in those ways. Verse 5 tells us what he did to find relief. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. So again, we see those three words, sin, iniquity, transgressions. 
He wasn't afraid to tell any of those to God, no matter how bad it was. And so what did he do? He says in the first line, he acknowledged his sin to God. He made it known to God. I mean, in reality, God already knows about it. And so we talk about, you know, not hiding our sin. It's like nothing is hidden from God. Um, but it's our act of, I'm bringing out of hiding um, and doing this act where I'm bringing out of hiding and giving it to you, even though you already know about it. So he acknowledged his sin to God. He made it known to God. Second, he did not cover his iniquity. He didn't hide it. He didn't try to lessen it. He didn't try to stuff it away somewhere and hope God never found out or nobody else ever found out. Um, and these two things, he says, I'm a, I, I confess. I, can, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And this is what confession is about, is coming to God and telling our sin to him and not hiding it, not trying to take care of it on our own. And then what did God do? We're told at the end, at the last line, he says to God, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God forgave him. And again, it's that lifted up word. God lifted it up off of him. All this, God, I have all this sin. I have all this iniquity. I have all this transgression. He didn't hide it from God. And then what did God do? Did he do these things? No. He lifted it up off him. Forgave him. And we heard earlier, he covered him. He didn't count it against him. The big idea for this passage is not hiding our sin from God is the way to acceptance with God. David is standing with the sin completely uncovered before God. And instead of rejection, he experienced it lifted off, not counted against him. Covered. He found relief from this inner turmoil he was experiencing. All this stress, his strength being sapped away, this anxiety. Um, he got rid of it by bringing it to God. <coughs> so based on this experience, David then invites us to do the same. So look at verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 starts with a therefore. He's saying, here's what I experienced. Verse 6, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David tells us, seek God when you sin. No matter how bad the wrong is, seek God. Don't wait until it's too late. There is a time when it will be too late. If we've always hid our sin our whole lives, there's a time when it's too late. It's when we've died. It's too late. Don't seek God before it's too late. And he gives another symptom of holding sin in. It says, feeling like waters are rising up around us and we're drowning. He says, surely in the rush of great rock waters, they shall not reach him. You know, feel this feeling of things are just, everything's connected. When we sin, things can feel like we're drowning. Like I've got this thing that I'm just trying to hold back. It's like these waters are rising up to my neck. And he's like, you know, that's, that goes away. And there's consequences to our sin. He's saying, those won't overcome me either. And look what he says about God in verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. When David didn't hide his sin, God became a hiding place. It's like we try to find a hiding place for our sin. You know, we try, I'm trying to stuff it off in some closet in my life that no one will find. We try to, when we try to hide our sin, it causes all that stuff David was talking about. But when we bring, don't hide our sin before God, he becomes our hiding place. It's not just that God's like, okay... I'll hide this off somewhere so nobody else finds it. It's like God himself becomes our hiding place. So it's this sense of like, um, if Hudson, my son, can't, did something wrong, he can't at this point, you know, he can't talk, but he did something wrong and he comes to me and he's like, Dad, I did this wrong. And instead of responding with all this stuff, it's like, no, come here, you know, embrace him. Like, hi, oh, yeah, thank you for talking to me. Like, become, I become his hiding place. In the same way God embracing us 
He becomes our hiding place because it's like, God brought this to you. I didn't hide it. He doesn't say like, okay, well, try better next time. Um, oh, I, I knew about this for a week. What took you so long? He's like, no, he becomes our hiding place, embracing us, taking us in. And David, when he brought his sin to God, he found safety. When we hold sin in, we're scared. Who's going to find out? Like, there's trouble all around. We need to defend ourselves from the accusers. If anybody who might find out might be getting close to it, I've got to defend myself. And if they, you know, if they discover it, then I'm going to really defend myself. We're afraid that if we show how sinful we are, we'll be rejected. But when David brought his sin, didn't hide it, that's when he found safety. And I love the image of, at the end of verse 7. He says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Because Jesus <coughs> paid the penalty for our sin. We can be delivered from the penalty of our sin because Jesus paid it. And so now, God, once David doesn't hide his sin, God fully embraces him, and now it's like, you know, these shouts of deliverance. You're delivered from this, David. You're delivered from this. You brought this to me, and now you are delivered. I've paid for it. I've lifted it off you. I don't count it against you. I'm covering you with it. And there's these shouts that you've been delivered from the penalty for this. Verses 8 and 9 continue the theme of instruction. And these verses sound like God speaking to us, uh, telling us he wants to guide us and how to respond. And perhaps David, this is kind of what he heard from God, and so he put it in this psalm of like, okay, I've just shared my experience. And then God said this to me. Verse 8 says, take this as God's voice speaking to you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or will not stay near you. God wants us to stay near to him. He wants to instruct us and teach us. He forgives us when we sin. We saw in Psalm 51, though, um, and at the end of John, John 21, that God doesn't, his job isn't to just forgive us. My job is to do stuff wrong. Your job is to forgive me, and I just get to come and hit the buttons, and then you, you, you poop out, not poop out, plop out, that's a better word. You plop out forgiveness onto me, and I, you know, this, this is kind of our relationship, God. Like, you give forgiveness, I do stuff wrong, and that's how it works. God wants much more than that from us. My relationship with anybody, our relationship with anybody would be non-existent if the only time we interact with them is when they were coming to us for forgiveness. Like, it's it's not a relationship. And God wants more than that. It's like, okay, you've come to me for forgiveness and I've lifted it off you. Don't count it against you. I've covered it. And I want to teach you how to not do this again. I want to teach you um, how to be free of this, not just the penalty of it, but I want to free you from the power of it as well. I don't want you to keep falling into these same ruts, David. You know, you'll put your name in there. I don't want, I want to teach you. I want to instruct you, God says. And it says, don't be like a horse or a mule, which doesn't stay near unless it's curved with bit and bridle, which is telling us, you know, don't be stubborn and resistant to God. Um, don't act as if it's just his job to forgive us. And then it's like, you know, God, please don't meddle with my life. You're just here to forgive me. I'm going to do what I need to do, and I'll come to you when I need the forgiveness. No, God, we're supposed to welcome him into our life and open ourselves up to him. And in this psalm, David is trying to teach us wisdom. And so you can ask yourself, do I want to be a wise person or a foolish person? A wise person doesn't hide their sin from God. A foolish person hides their sin from God. A wise person is responsive to God's guidance. A foolish person is stubborn and resistant. You know, we, we need to ask, I mean, it's so simple. Um, what I find remarkable 
about a relationship with God is it's extremely simple, but it is not easy because it's counterintuitive to the way that we normally want to act. Here it is. Here's how, how, do you, how can you have a relationship with God where you have joy and relief and all these things David experienced, blessing? Don't hide your sin. Well, that's pretty easy. But why do we have a, such a hard time doing it? Um, but we ask ourselves, do I want to be a wise person or a foolish person today? If I want to be a wise person, I won't hide my sin from God. I'll bring it to him. Verses 10 and 11 wrap up the journey with joy. David says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It's just a side note. I think sometimes um, as Christians, um, and even in the culture at large, um, there's kind of this negative view of the Old Testament, like God's kind of grumpy, and he's like a jerk, and he's just mad. And thank goodness Jesus came because he was all about love and grace and mercy. Um, Psalms like this teach us that it's exactly the opposite of what these people, David was experiencing 3,000 years ago. He's experiencing a God full of grace, full of mercy, who is generous with his forgiveness and is totally ready to dispense it as when David comes to him humble and asking for it. Um, and we're you know, thinking about, like, well, in the Old Testament, they had to be you know, perfect, offer enough sacrifices, keep the laws <coughs> up, and then maybe God would love them. That is exactly the opposite of what they, the Old Testament shows us, especially Psalms like this, 32, um, Psalm 51 that we saw before. Um, and look, David's defining a righteous life for us. He's like, many are the sorrows of the wicked, um, which is also many of the sorrows of the foolish person. Many of the, are the sorrows of the foolish person who hides their sins from God. But what happens when somebody doesn't hide their sin from God? But steadfast love surrounds the one. There's that word again. We saw it back in verse 7. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Now he says, steadfast love. God's love, his steadfast, immovable love, surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. He says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. And so to be righteous in the Old Testament and ever is always by grace alone through faith alone. That's how it's always been. And David, he's saying like, hey guys, look, you know, I've sinned, I have iniquity, I have transgression, um, and look what I found from God. He didn't account it against me. Which you know what that means? He, if he doesn't count his sin against him, how's he counting him? He's counting him as righteous. He's counting him as if he had never done it, as if he's innocent, as if he's blameless. And he's saying like, if you want to be righteous, seek after God's heart. Come and bring your sin to him. Do not hide your sin from God. That's the way to acceptance with God. And the upright in heart and the, the psalm is so, I found it so moving because he's so emotional. I mean, he's talking about all this turmoil inside of him when he was hiding his sin. And when then he brought it to him, there's all this relief. There's all this protection. There's this joy. There's this steadfast love. It's just like these really great <coughs> pictures of what he experienced. And we usually believe our big idea is not hiding our sin from God is the way to acceptance with God. But we usually believe and practice the opposite. Hiding my sin from God is the way to acceptance with God. Now, isn't that true that we often kind of hide or hold our sin in or we try to deal with it on our own or um, we might even do it with each other. Hiding my sin from other people is the way to acceptance with them. Um, and that, I mean, sometimes it's not acceptance if you're hiding it for them to love you. Um, but you know, we have to be careful. Not everyone does accept our, 
our sin when we accept us when we expose our sin to them. But I was thinking about uh, sometimes Katie. Everyone, well, I'd imagine everyone does this, but anyway, when Katie and I sometimes when people are coming over to our house, you know, you guys come over for uh, gatherings um, or we're hosting people for dinner. Um, sometimes cleaning up the house can't be as thorough as we like it to be. And so little piles of things get shoved off in some room, and then we close the door. That's Mitch's office. You can't go in there. And, and you know, in reality, there's this, these weird piles of like, what is, you know, if somebody went in there, it'd be like, this is Mitch's office, huh? It looks interesting. Or, you know, some cover. You know, we'll, you know, so we'll shove things, piles of things or odd things. We're just like, oh, we don't have time to deal with this right now. People are going to be here in 30 minutes. Or we don't have time to, you know, fully sort through this thing. They're like, oh, I don't know. We don't know where this is going. She gets shoved off in my office. So if you ever like, what was the true state of their house 30 minutes before we got here? Come open my office door. But, you know, so there's, uh, but it gives the appearance of a house that is clean. But in actuality, we've, we've hidden some of the mess. We haven't actually dealt with all the mess. And, and so in your life, what do you put behind closed doors so that your life looks clean? What are you putting behind closed doors so that your life looks clean? Because, you know, in reality, a lot of us, especially who've been in this church community, we've welcomed each other into our lives. And so we come, we talk to each other, and we share things with each other, share things that are going on. And so, yeah, we're okay, Katie and I, when we have things we have to stuff off, like, yeah, come into our house. It's all clean here, you know. And so we welcome people into our lives, like, yeah, everything's all good here. And, you know, oh, no, no, you don't have to go behind that door. That's okay. That's okay. Let's just, that's okay. Leave it, leave it there. And sometimes... You know, we're even willing to tell people well, there's a mess in there. And we're like, oh, there's a mess in there. We don't have to worry about that. And you might even be willing to tell people, like, yeah, I've got this mess um, of this area in my life. But, yeah, we, we don't need to talk about that. I want to talk about these things here. And so we're willing to welcome people into our lives but keep things behind closed doors so we can be in control of how it gets released, how it gets dealt with, and so our life looks clean. And so there's, there's three ways I want to, as we wrap up, uh, Ways that we, how do we deny our sin? How do we have a spirit of deceit and lying? We saw in First John when we first, when we at the beginning of the series, um, we do, if we deny our sin, the truth's not in us, and we're liars. So how do we deny our sin? How do we hide it? Hide it. Um, so one way is we deny there's a problem. We deny that there is a problem. I don't have a sin problem. I have this all together. And I talked at the beginning like oh, I've arrived. Like I I used to struggle with things, but not a problem here. So one is we just deny there is a problem. Um, one so one way is saying we have it all together. But sometimes it can we can say, uh, my, the word acceptance that's kind of popular in our culture because it's like you just got to accept me how I am. Um, and if you don't, the problem is actually you. Like there's no problem here with my sin. There's no problem here with my transgressions, my iniquities. No problem here with the way I live. Um, and if you're not willing to accept me as I am, the problem is with you. Um, and that's not. That's just saying there's no problem. God, if you can't deal with this, like you're the problem, um, and I reject you. So one is to deny there's a problem. Second, it's deny the seriousness of the problem. So we can deny there is a problem, or we can deny the seriousness <coughs> of the problem. Which is, uh, it's okay, okay, there is a problem. But it's not that serious. I've got this. I'm handling it. You know, maybe somebody discovers like, hey, there seems like, you know, there's something going on in your marriage. Seems like there's something going on in your life. Seems like there's something going on in your job with your kids or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we're kind of dealing with something, but, but I've, I'm handling it. I've got this. You know, we, I'm in control of it. 
or and we when we deny the seriousness of the problem, you know, somebody starts poking around. And we say, you know, I can handle this. I don't need help. I've got this. Um, Brian talked to us last week in a sermon about saying like how we're so easily say, oh, I've got this. I've got this. I can handle this. So that's denying the seriousness of the problem. Thirdly, we can deny responsibility for the problem. We deny there is a problem. We deny the seriousness of the problem. We deny responsibility for the problem. And in this we say, well, this isn't my fault. Someone else is to blame. Something else is to blame. Uh, the reason I lost my temper is because I had a you know, bad day at work. The, my bad day at work is to blame. Um, the reason I lost my temper or the reason I got impatient or harsh with you, uh, well, that's because you did X, Y, and Z, and that's why I did that thing to you. Or like, oh, you, you, the kids were you know, not doing the thing, or you know, whatever it is, or my, my neighbor was doing this, and so then I did this thing to them. Or at work, you know, so-and-so is always short with me, and so I'm short with them. It's like we deny responsibility. You know, there's no problem here because I'm not responsible for it. Someone else is to blame. We justify, we defend ourselves. And why do we deny our sin? That's how we deny our sin. That's how we hide it. Why do we deny it? And it's what we've been saying. It's because we think hiding our sin is how we will get acceptance. We think that hiding our sin is how we will get acceptance. There's no way that if God fully knew the extent of how bad I am, that he would ever accept me. Which is going back to a lie that we... We've heard in Genesis 3, when we're in our Genesis 3 series, what does the serpent, what does Satan want us to believe? Sin isn't that bad, and God isn't that good. If you start being convinced that your sin is really bad, there's no way God is good enough, gracious enough, merciful enough to ever lift this off me, to ever cover this, to ever treat me as if this didn't happen. And something that sometimes is read at weddings is Genesis, I believe, 2.24. Is that Adam and Eve, man and wife, were in the garden, and they're naked and not ashamed, which is a physical thing, but also, I think, a spiritual thing, too. It's like, can we be totally naked before God in a spiritual sense, not hiding anything and not be ashamed? God, you've covered this. You've lifted this off me. You don't treat, hold this against me. Like, can we be naked in front of God, not hiding anything and unashamed? So I want you to take a moment, if you have a bulletin or if you don't have one, and grab one and pass it down the rows or whatever. Uh, or you can, you might want to do, well, here's four. <laughs> Got a big supply here. Really, we're very stingy here. <laughs> and you might, you might feel like, you know, I don't want to write that down. I'd rather have it in my head. So the question, you don't have to write this question down. I'm going to give you something to complete, fill in the blank. So what are you hiding from God or others, because you think if they knew about it, they would never accept you or love you. And so fill this in. If people knew blank, fill that in. You can, if you don't want to write it down because you're like, I don't want people to see it, that's okay. You know, say it in your head. Think of it. If people knew blank, what are you hiding from God or others? Because you think if they knew about it, they would never accept you or love you. If people knew blank about you. <coughs> could be something that happened recently. could be something that happened a long time ago. It could actually be something that somebody did to you that makes you feel shame. It could be your anger problems, your marriage problems, an addiction, something you're failing at, something you aren't good at. 
could be that you're depressed, could be that you have doubts. If people knew blank, Now the second half, complete this. If people knew blank, they would blank. Could be one of these things we wrote down earlier. Maybe it's all of them. What are you afraid people do? If people knew this about me, they would blank. this down to <clears throat> how would it feel for someone to know that about you and love you just the same how would it feel for someone to know that thing about you you don't want anyone to know and love you just the same as if it never happened if they covered it lifted it up off you didn't count it against you didn't treat you any differently that come to my mind for are similar to David's. I mean, that would feel relieving. That would feel freeing. That would make me feel so much joy. Oh, we can, this is what God wants to do for us. Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Love. You feel so much love. There's so much joy. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you accept me and love me, even though you know that horrible thing about me. I feel so much peace. I was so anxious about it. I feel so relieved. Not hiding our sin from God is the way to acceptance with God. And last week we talked about this, this. So if you weren't here, you're probably like, what in the world? You've probably been guessing the whole time, didn't hear a word I was saying, but that's okay. We'll learn. Lesson learned. Uh, but we want to hide. Last week we talked about <coughs> when we confess our sin to God, He makes us white as snow. He doesn't have this file cabinet of all the junk we've done wrong. When God goes into the file cabinet of our lives, it's white as snow. You've been forgiven. And it sounds too good to be true. How is that possible? I've done too much. I've done too bad. How could I be white as snow? And I wouldn't even believe it unless the Bible said it. Because I have a hard time even saying that this is true. That your life, the record of your life, could be white as snow. That's what, that's what the Bible says. White as snow. If you've been forgiven. That's what God thinks about. So we think of it as like, I've got so much. I need to hide it. I need to keep it hidden. I mean, but the issue is, you guys all saw this up here. Like, people can see it in your life. It's like, you know there's like a file camera in your corner. What's the deal there? Um, is that like all the stuff you've done wrong? What? You can see that, you know? It's like, we can all see. If you look at anybody's you know, life, you can be like, I can see you got junk in your life. I can see that you're messed up. I can see you're not perfect. You sin. You've wronged. You're not, you're, you fail at stuff. We can all see that when we hide stuff, this is what we look like. We walk in and it's like, what's that? You know, it's like we all can see file cabinet stuff with each other's lives. Um, but the truth is, when we, before God, when we uncover it, it's not like God's like, woo, I'm going to have to get another closet to put with the rest of the file cabinets I got on you. No, he's like, okay, let me lift this up off you. And then God himself, you know, let me, let me cover this, not to bring it up later, but I'm going to take care of this. I'm not going to count this against you. It's just gone. You're just like, God, but don't you have so much against me? No, it's white as snow. I don't, 
not counting that stuff against you. This is not how God responds to us when we bring our sin to him, humble, broken, wanting to be forgiven of it. We get acceptance with him. As we think as a, a community, how do we become a community of acceptance where there's no hiding? Our relationship with God is broken when we hide from him. And our relationship with one another is broken when we hide from each other. And one of the reasons that we do hide from people is because we do have a hard time with not keeping a file cabinet of wrongs that other people have done against us. And we're bitter about it. We treat them differently because of it. And But when we experience that acceptance and forgiveness from God, we realize, wow, God has re- taken so much away from me. How could I hold you know, my dinky couple files on somebody else of like, you did this thing to me a couple of years ago, and I got, it's in the file. Here's my piece of paper on you, and I'm holding it against you. And then God's like, um... Okay, yeah, but I don't hold any of that against you, so why hold it against your brother or sister or somebody else? But when we, we don't have to hide it from God. We don't have to hide it from others. And we can be safe with God. We can be safe to each other. And we can be a community where we're experiencing um, the full acceptance uh, of God vertically and giving that out to one another horizontally. Let's pray. Father, thank you that for the news that sounds too good to be true <coughs> that when we come to you with our sin, our transgressions our iniquity all our selfishness all our wrongs that make us white as snow and that you don't only just make us white as snow and send us away but you continue to work with us patiently, gently, faithfully instructing us in the way so we don't have to go back into that again that you free us not just from the penalty of what we've done wrong free us from the power of it as well and more and more you're making us free from its presence in our lives so Father would you help us to live in light of the good news uh, that we do not have to hide our sin from you that we are fully accepted even though we are fully so fully broken so fully sinful in your name we pray Amen